The Holy Gospel according to Mark, the first chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the Spirit descending like a dove on him. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, the Beloved. With you I am well pleased. And the Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. He was in the wilderness forty days, tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild beasts, and the angels waited on him. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. My dear brothers and sisters, I bring you grace and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So today, as I mentioned, is the first Sunday of the season of Lent, which began last Wednesday on Ash Wednesday. Uh, the first Sunday of Lent always begins with the same gospel story, the story of the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness. And because this story kicks off Lent, uh, the temptation of Jesus informs how we think about the entire season. And so I'd like to spend some time this morning reflect, uh, reflecting on how we do think about this story and maybe pushing back a bit on what I'll call our instinctive or reactive reading of the story to think about it maybe a little differently. <clears throat> now, here's how I think we tend to think about this story. This story in the, in the Bible tells us that Jesus was in the wilderness and he was tempted. And of course, tempted means that he was encouraged to do bad things. But being Jesus, he was able to resist those temptations to say no to them. And that proves that Jesus was good and strong and moral. And of course, Jesus's behavior should be a model for us too. And so this Lent, we should work extra hard to resist the bad things that tempt us. And we should also work extra hard during the season to feel sorry about the things that have tempted us in the past, to repent of them. In fact, that's the very word that Jesus uses, repent, when he comes out of the wilderness. So to sum up, Jesus resisted temptations, and you should too. You should stop allowing yourself to be tempted. You should say you're sorry. You should feel bad about the things you've done in the past, and you should try harder to be like Jesus and avoid bad things in the future. That seems to be the focus. So I mentioned I wanted to push back on this instinctive or reactive reading of the temptation story. Let me first say something very clearly, or a few things very clearly. First, it is, of course, good and appropriate to resist, to resist temptations that are bad for us. Second, when we make mistakes, it's good to be sorry and to apologize. And third, trying to imitate Jesus is also a good thing. So I'm not saying that any of those are wrong. What I want to question, though, is our understanding of what exactly Jesus was being tempted by in the wilderness, and also, in a related way, what exactly Jesus is calling us to when he says, repent. So let's start with what he's being tempted by. 
And I should be clear too that the gospel that we just heard Clark read for us has a very brief account of this. It's basically a single sentence. In Matthew and in Luke, the temptations are spelled out in more detail. Uh, And the three temptations basically are turn these stones into bread, leap off a tall point and let God save you, and finally take over all of the kingdoms of the world. Now, I confess, I could never really make much sense out of these so-called temptations. What exactly makes them so bad? Why are they even temptations at all? And if we think of those temptations in this story as something purely negative to be avoided at all costs, I actually don't think they do make much sense. So how do we make sense of them? Well, context, as always, is critical here. Consider what Jesus is sorting out in his mind in the wilderness. He's just experienced, and we heard this in this brief gospel account too, he's experienced a profoundly significant moment in his baptism. He has heard God say, you are my son, the beloved. With you, I am well pleased. And Jesus in the wilderness, immediately after that event, is trying to figure out what that means. What exactly is he supposed to do? How is he supposed to do it? How is he supposed to live? What does it mean to be Jesus, the beloved son? And when you start with that, when you remember what Jesus is grappling with in the desert, these temptations start to make more sense. Think about it this way. As Christians, we confess that Jesus is the Son of God who came to save the world through his death and resurrection. Our faith is based on the truth that this Jesus, God himself, gave up his life and died on a cross for our sake to defeat sin, death, and the devil, to destroy them once and for all. Now, take a moment to compare that, dying on a cross to defeat death, with what Jesus was offered in the wilderness. He could have used his power to turn stones into bread, feeding himself and maybe a few other people who needed food. He could have made a name for himself by jumping off a high place, allowing God to save him, using that notoriety and fame to further his message with more people. Or he simply could have become the supreme ruler of the world during his lifetime. Seen in that light, what makes those temptations bad isn't necessarily that they were negative in themselves, but rather that they were so small and insignificant and limited when compared with defeating sin, death, and the devil once and for all through his death and resurrection. Does that make sense? So the challenge for Jesus in the wilderness was to see that difference, to trust that none of those options would have fulfilled what he had been called to do, to avoid being distracted by them so he could pursue his true mission. At some level, then, I think you could talk about these temptations and Jesus' ability to resist them as being about clarity of vision, of seeing what God had in mind for him and staying focused on that rather than being distracted by something smaller and more trivial. Now, as always, how does that relate to what Jesus is calling us to today? He comes out of the wilderness, as I mentioned earlier, and he says, repent and believe in the good news. And again, we instinctively assume that this means that Jesus is saying, feel bad for what you've done in the past and resist temptation in the future. 
But like those distractions that Jesus faced in the desert, I would like to suggest that that reading is actually too small, too limited, and that it is therefore in some ways also a distraction. We can see this in a powerful way through the word itself that Jesus uses here. We translate it, repent. But the word repent is actually a very bad translation of the original word Jesus used here. Why is that? Because repent suggests something like painful sorrow or remorseful regret in English. But that isn't really what Jesus was getting at here. He was instead trying to change the minds of his listeners to what God is doing. He was saying, open your minds, open your eyes. God is here, and God is doing something powerful right now, right in front of you. Don't miss it. The emphasis was far more positive than negative. And in the context of what he had just gone through, this makes much more sense. Jesus is saying, the kingdom of God has come near. It's bigger than we think. Don't be distracted. Don't settle for something less. Things are going to be different. Allow God to change the way you see so you can perceive that. And not just so that you can see it, but so that you can participate in it. Because God needs you. Yes, that was 2,000 years ago. But God is saying the same things to us today. So this Lent, can I invite you to once again open your eyes to the fact that God is still here. God is still at work. God still has great plans for the world, and God still needs you to be part of them. When we see this, and when we respond to God's ongoing invitation to participate in God's work, maybe we can focus less on the other things. It's not that they aren't important. It's just that they're no longer the main thing. And so maybe the regret that we rightly feel over past wrongs or the worry we feel about the future will take care of themselves as we focus our attention instead simply on where Jesus is leading us. May God bless us once again on our Lenten journey. Amen.